every Thursday. I'll be your host of Give Grief the Finger. I'm Jay Lewis III. I interview everyday people that have chosen to transform and repurpose their grief to find a better version of themselves. In essence, give grief the finger. Learn to take grief's negative energy and use it to your advantage. Imagine you're only eight weeks old and your whole life literally flashes right in front of you. That's what happened to my guest, Michael Gersh. Victim of a drunk driving accident, he incurred head trauma with over 90% of his infant bones being broken. He also lost his mother in that accident. Now, at age 53, Michael's a book author, speaker, comedian, and creator of the anti-drunk driving nonprofit, The Magic of Life. Welcome to Give Grief the Finger, Michael Gersh. First off, I want to say thanks. I really appreciate this particular interview. You have your world. Make me blush. Nah, man. I, look, your world is absolutely amazing. Talk about your your life. My life is uh, totally different than probably anyone else you have ever met, and and it started that way. I was, uh, you know, I was born on July twenty fourth, so I just had my my birthday on Monday. Uh, nice and 53 years old, but I almost didn't make it to 53. Eight weeks after I was born, my family and I were hit by a drunk driver. And my brother was in the back seat sleeping. My dad was driving. My mom was next to my dad. In the front middle seat, I was next to my mom. And as we were going through a green light, the drunk driver plowed the intersection, T-boned the car, and hit. It was on my side. All my bones were, were nearly broken. My skull was fractured from one side of my head to the other. Uh, so the fact that I'm 53 and talking to you, man, is is nothing short of, of, of a miracle. Unfortunately, my mom was killed in that car crash. And uh, my dad had to get stitches on his face uh, from, the, from the windshield hitting him. Uh, my brother didn't have a scratch on him. During that whole time, I was life-flighted to another hospital. And the doctors were saying, well, your son is touch and go. We don't know if he's going to survive. My dad is you know, worried about my mom. And she died the next morning due to her injuries. But, you know, for me, you know, the doctors had no idea how I was going to, you know, grow. Um, I had to be taken back to the hospital for months afterwards to make sure I didn't have any uh, brain damage. As you can tell, John, I'm perfectly okay. Um, <laughs> my friends would say, no, there's something wrong with him. Um, but look, I grew up to be a competitive swimmer. I uh, went to college on a swimming scholarship because uh, my grades were not going to do it for me. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, the only thing I ever wanted to do in life was be a comedian, besides be Spider-Man, and, uh, you know, besides um, being uh, an academic advisor at Kent State University and uh, being a comedian and a speaker and a photographer, you know, I, I've dedicated my life to trying to prevent other people from going through what my family went through with drunk driving, trying to prevent it. So I've been speaking for about 28, almost 29 years, doing a program called The Magic of Life. And it involves comedy and audience participation in my story, you know, for a feel-good thing, but also to inspire other people not to drive impaired. Uh, high schools, colleges, I've done military bases in the last 10 years. I've been doing a program at our local court here in Northeast Ohio in the city of Stowe to drunk drivers. And, John, you know, it's been probably the most meaningful audience of my speaking career because... They walk in, they're pissed off, just like last Thursday when people, you know, their arms are crossed, they're looking down, they look angry. And the only one who should be angry should be me, right? 
but you make them laugh, and by the end of the program, they're leaning forward, uh, they're engaged. And you know, you've spoken in front of people before, and you, and when you see that interaction, you see that change before you. You know, as a speaker, it, it's pretty awesome. But just as a person to be able to share my story to make a difference, and I think if you Absolutely. can make someone laugh and make a difference in someone's life, then then you're doing something right in in, in the world trying to make this a better place you know i talk about grief and, and trauma and even my own um understanding it better and that's why it's been such a blessing like with you and tony and dorian and and dave for other guys we feel so comfortable speaking about our trauma and grief it's really awesome because we don't allow our depression and trauma to, to control us right i mean at times it's it's hard but for the most part, I think we we know how to cope. We, we know how to manage. I don't think we're ever going to get over that. Right. But I think if right. we manage it, then we're ha- then we're doing pretty good because we're always going to have our, our crappy days. You know, we're always going to have those doubting days, the the depressed, the dark days where you know you have your good days and you have your bad days and you have the holy shit, I'm not getting out of bed days. And then you have the days mm-hmm. of do I want to be here anymore? And it's and it's not because we want to die. And I've been to that part before. And it's right. like, I just wanted the pain to stop. And I had to think about my friends and family and say, if I did this, I'm leaving them behind to hold that bag of all those questions. My dad and my aunt died in 2018, 90 days apart. And I was like, well, I can't send my family back to the cemetery three times in six months. You know, I couldn't do that to them. So I got help when grief counseling really saved my life. Um, learning about being vulnerable about depression and grief you know all of it together Brene brown tony robbins um you know what i learned in grief counseling really helped to give me those tools necessary to do stuff like this we're faced with that gift and the curse concept we go through what we've gone through we end up having to manage the same things that we want to be able to communicate to the world like when it comes to grief, when, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, you can have a clinical conversation about it. You can talk about what the learning behavior in school is different when a person has gone through it. I am not a, a doctor in this, but I clearly have a PhD, you know, in hard knock life. And you do too. I want to go back for a second because you hit a really you, you hit a real thread when you were talking about men's grief. Men's grief is different only because it's the type of grief we really don't want to talk about. We'd rather drink away the pain or we'd rather do something else other than sit and have a conversation like how we're having. But you have something that you put together with two of your other friends. That's a comedic resource that, you know, was stand up for grief, I guess. It's... It's interesting because, well, you know what? You talk about it. I'm, I'm not even going to go there. You talk well, about it. Back in 2018, when I lost my dad and my aunt, and I had a buddy, one friend who's a widower, and then another friend lost his son in a motorcycle crash, then we're all stamp comedians, and we're just tossing around ideas. And I, and I was like, well, you know, what if we did something, you know, um, you know, some comedy first and then talk about our grief as men to, to other men and, and try to do that way where it's a non-threatening, but we both know social, you know, in society, men aren't supposed to 
cry or be you know weak asking for help you know type of stuff um and that way we could do it in in a, in a fashion where those walls could come down where we would you know bring some humor to it share our stories and hopefully the other men around who are grieving would feel comfortable to share their stories right because we think if we're the only ones going through it then we feel like we're all alone but if there's other people together in the same room going through the same thing then i think we feel more comfortable and it stays in that spot now your grief is your grief i'm never going to understand that but we've we've gone through similar grieving patterns and that's right. what it's really about right and how you know we can learn from each other how to cope you know good ideas hey what does john do you know when he's sad and depressed well he cooks well maybe i could go do that for you know something in in a healthy way um you know i never self-medicated you know for it because um you know we know that's that's always going to end badly but right. i use my humor so my humor was my defense mechanism uh whether it's on stage or off stage you know whether it's against bullies or just depression or just grief you know so the, the three of us had this idea to do this type of you know program where we can open up to others and then also maybe you know open up to women so they understand their guy through grief yeah. too that's you right know, you're hearing from other people so you're hearing from a son you're hearing from a, a um a widower you know and 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 a father but you know we know how grief of a say you know with one of them being a father then you know if parents lose their kid and this is what the men may go through because we know it it could destroy a relationship it could destroy marriages yes. and, and if they're and if their husband's not willing to, to open up maybe then this woman kind of can understand her guy a little bit better right and maybe in time that will happen so you know those are some of the things that we were tossed around and and trying to do to to help others and i think it's not and we do this not for ourselves it's for other people because we know we know both sides of that spec of of the spectrum we know those dark days and then we also know those lighter days because of what we've been through in getting help and making ourselves feel vulnerable um and and sharing and we know that those good days could be there among everything else the interesting part about the whole thing it's not about us you want it to be to a certain degree but then you also realize that if you make it about you you're not going to be able to share with someone else who may be going through something you actually had a great friend that made the mistake of driving drunk and caused his own death in that respect him obviously knowing your story i know it kind of came as a shock to you that this would even happen like this but people go through things talk to me about how how that circumstance truly affected you mark yeah you know what I, i'm gonna i'm gonna quote jerry mcguire in terms of uh you're gonna make me cry now right <laughs> <laughs> um you know those tears John, my friend, big John Kelly, who I knew in college, I knew him for 15 years and he knew my story. He died on May 1st, 2004, as a result of being a drunk driver. Uh, the cops, he was leaving his third bar that night and someone saw him get into his truck. They called the police. And as they were pulling him over, he lost control and hit a tree and broke his neck. I had to then call my other four best friends up, tell him we lost our, our brother. And, um, I had a lot of anger towards John because it was, how dare he do this to me? He knew better. 
my story should have stopped him from driving drunk and it didn't. And I felt like a crappy friend in terms of I didn't do my job well enough to stop him. Here I am speaking for years and years trying to get people not to drive drunk and here's my best friend who did it and it cost him his life. You know, during, during my program, it's hard to talk about because I have 15 years of memories of, of John. Whereas my mom, there's no memories, so John's a little bit tougher. And, you know, just the stories we have from college and then working at Kent State together and be, John being 6'5", 300 pounds, and he would never lock his car door. So I would drive by his apartment in the morning, and John had an older car with a bench with a bench seat. So I'd move the car seat all the way up and then leave. You know, that does with someone who's 6'5", 300 pounds, right? <laughs> um but his death was so hard. First of all, the shock of it and, and the denial and all that stuff. And then anger was with me a, a lot uh, of years. And it wasn't until I started doing EMDR in, in 2020 where I let go of that anger because anger was, it, it was just an emotion and, and negative energy. And I had, to, I wouldn't say forgive him, um, I guess in, in a way, but uh, I, had, I had to get past that anger and because um, it wasn't doing me any good. To stay mad at my best friend, well, no, one of my best friends. But yeah, the shock of that, because of the way he died and knowing that's how my mom died, never in a million years would I ever think one well, of my friends would drive drunk after knowing my story, much alone die the result of being a drunk driver. You know, it's hard. I mean, the, and it's hard during football season. I remember the last time I had a conversation with him was the NFL draft. You know, I couldn't watch the draft for years. Uh, so college football and pro football is still hard without him because of all the trash talking we would do and, and, and the fun. And so our group of friends had to bond together. And that was, you know, our, our loss at what, 33, 34, to have that support system for each other. And it affected, you know, everyone. And it still does. Not so much as it used to. I, at times it does. You know, when we get together, there's, there's one person missing. It's John. Right. Uh, you know, we right. still have the John stories, but for me, uh, personally, you know, his death affected me a little bit differently than than the other circle of friends. Of course, of course, because, because the, yeah, yeah, and it was just you know, it, it's so hard. But if I could share his story, like with the drunk with the drunk drivers, and I have his picture up, I go, look, that would have been his first DUI. If you continue doing what you're doing. You could end up like John, and I don't want that for you or right. your family because it sucks. Those phone calls is a living nightmare you'll never wake up from. And you you made the phone calls, you know, when your wife died, and we're trying to prevent that from other people happening you know, with, with the drunk driving because it's it's preventable. And uh, he didn't have to die. He, you know, his 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 life. He was just a full life, man. Um, he was a gentle giant, and and the laughter from his his laughter would fill the room up, right, with joy. The stench from his feet would clear the room out. Um, <laughs> it was a very nice balance that we had with, with, with uh, Big John. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. And and, and so daily basis, no different than thinking about my mom and stuff. I think the magnitude depends on the time of year, you know, around his birthday, the draft, you know, the start of the season. And then you kind of get through it. And I, and I go back to what I learned in EMDR and, and and those and counseling to you know not be so angry with him and uh and and it helps me get through it and you know what it i first off how how are you working through having the conversation with i mean 
like you said, you're an advisor at Kent State, so I know that you see so many kids who are drinking or drinking and, you know, drinking and driving or whatever, whatever. How many of them know your story and what do you do to kind of get your story out there, especially to that particular crowd? Yeah, years ago, I used to do the orientation program and, and share my story because a lot of it was alcohol awareness. And I would speak at some fraternities and sororities within our own college. Years ago, I would go in and, and do the, our orientation classes and, and speak and kind of focus on my story of drunk driving. But also, since I wrote the book and I felt more comfortable talking about depression because more college students now are depressed yes. than before. So. Yes. The key, what was nice, what about doing the pro, you know, a little bit of a program, um, was them to realize they're not the only ones going through it, and and to feel comfortable asking for help. And here was an advisor that they could go to, even though I'm not a counselor, but yet direct them towards counseling. But most of all, knowing that they shouldn't feel alone in this and and been through it, you know, through you know the suicide thoughts and and whatnot. I advise the professional pilot program at, at Kent State, and I've done a couple of programs because if they screw up, get a drunk driving arrest, whatever, they can't be a pilot. I think it was last year I wrote an email to my students. I think it was around the anniversary. I, I remember doing it. Oh, it was um, St. Patty's Day of this year. I wrote sure. all my students an email about being safe and smart, and I shared with them my story. For the first time and i got responses back saying thank you for sharing the story and and so forth even about depression because i've had right. a few students lose their parents and kind of go again as i said your grief is your grief but i understand what it's like to, to lose a parent and so if you need to you could come and we could talk you know vent whatever it is um and if we need counseling we'll, we'll get you to that, that that counselor but in my role you know, with, with the uh, university and, and the major I do, uh, yeah, it's very important to for them to understand, you know, um, the dangers of it um, because, they, you know, they're, they're paying a crap load of money to learn how to be a pilot. Right. Many years ago, I had, a, I, had a, I had a student the summer before he graduated to get a DOI and the, and the FAA said, too bad you can't be a pilot. And he blew like a hundred grand on his education. That's an expensive lesson to learn, right? It's not yep. even the 10 grand for the DOI. Yep. That's your whole future. Don't jeopardize. Look, you're jeopardizing your life, but also you're jeopardizing your future as a college student. So those, you know, those two things, you know, because you're 18, 19. You can't be a teacher, you know, um, you know, want to be a nurse, maybe not. But, you know, um, ATC, you know, air traffic controller, forget it. You know, so it's those things. Right. But, you know, you're a college student who has 10 grand laying around for a DOI. You can't even afford 200 bucks for a book, which is a dumb price, too, um, for a book. That's its mom. <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah, it's just, you know, opening up and then putting myself in a different light for my students. And I think that was key because I... You know, I know it's hard to believe, but I joke around at work. Um, so it's, no, uh, not you, not you. <laughs> I know you're shocked yeah. by this. <laughs> have fun, right? So, uh, but I think through my humor and then showing that side, it makes them working with me a little bit different and and more right. comfortable. Whereas if they're having a bad day, maybe they could come and talk, and and, and that's what I would like to have because you know their lives are and. 
our pressures and also we don't want them stressed out when they're flying if they have anxiety or they're depressed you know and that's the thing about flying if they go to counseling and stuff that could be put on their medical and right that's scary john because they want to fly but yet they're having issues and it's like well what do i do and for me i go your life is more than flying if you need the help go get help we'll figure out the medical stuff later on i'd much rather have you here dealing with stuff than than not um it's the the whole double-edged sword thing i mean again the fact that you know yeah i said these people that do these type of occupations you have an expectation that they're not going to be this type of person and like you said you're 18 you're 19 20 you know hey you you want to do what your friends are doing you want to do you know you want to experience life a little differently you now go through what is called that rite of passage type of type of stage in your life how many kids we know decide to drink alcohol before the age of 21 and it's like guilty guilty likewise you know i mean i'm not even going to tell you about what i did you know in high school but that's a whole different story but the point i'm making is being serious about this it leads into the depression that that you were talking about because when you have spent all this money and you have ruined your life through some decision you made now you feel like i can't do anything that's where the depression comes in what's next for you i mean i know you mentioned that you're writing your second book but what else is next for you and for magic life you ask what's next um you know the second book is um probably probably what's next i mean the first one took 20 years i I don't want the second one to take 20 years but i like my dad's though uh that's the problem Um, no but you know i want to start from 2020 on you know on up so things i've learned in counseling 2020 and how that impacted everyone going back to counseling how my trauma and grief impacted my relationships i mean i i've read a lot about trauma and how that impacted me as an infant and not being held by my mom and how right that development affected me as an adult and you know you think you're you're broken but then you find out the the reasons and you kind of go oh that's why i'm not so messed up just because i'm messed up there's a reason for that right and i think, <laughs> and I, think I think once we know the reasons then we can kind of heal and work on that to you know for whenever i'm in a relationship next time and you have a better understanding of yourself and that's what counseling is. You have a better understanding of yourself and how to live your best life. You're messed uh, up with a purpose. Is, yeah, is that's right. what it is. It's yeah. like, so, you know. You know, I, I like to do more photography. I have a couple of exhibits I have to uh, apply for. Okay. Um, you know, submit stuff. I have um Zach Thomas induction at the football hall of fame is coming up next. Uh, you know, I have a couple more KISS concerts to hit, one in Detroit and one in New York for the very last touring concert so i have some good things to, to look forward to uh towards the end of uh, the year you know more more speaking in front of the, the drunk drivers and, and more comedy so it's just you know trying to find that balance of relaxing but also you know doing the things i feel passionate about mm-hmm. and, and doing um where it's not stressful uh either well how can people get in touch with you? um well that's illegal if they want to touch me and uh 
you know, well, in touch, we'll, not we'll touch, anyway. in touch. Oh, in touch. Sorry, totally misread that. Okay. <laughs> um, I go for a small, you know, tip, you know, price, sure. Um, <laughs> I got student loans to pay back too, and um, well, the magic of uh, the the website is themagicoflife.org. But on Facebook, they just try, find me at Michael Gersh, uh, G-E-R-S-H-E. I have uh, my own personal page. I have the Magic um, Michael Gersh Photography page, which I know I have to start putting more stuff on there. Uh, LinkedIn, you know, for the foundation. Um, they can find the book on, on Amazon. It's called The Magic of Life, A Son's Story of Hope After Tragedy, Grief, and a Speedo. Because I was a swimmer, I'm not wearing one now. Don't get all excited, people. That'd be weird. <laughs> um, no one, no one needs to see me in a speedo anymore. No, not no. I'm on Twitter or X, but I don't even use that anymore. But LinkedIn and Facebook is, is probably the biggest way. And Instagram, it's uh, Instagram is G E R S H E P I X Gersh Picks um, for that. So I put a lot of my photography on the Instagram uh, part. I just wanted to say thank you. I really appreciate. You took some time. I mean, you got a busy schedule. Dude, you got foundations. You got this. You got your busy person. And I really appreciate you taking time to just have a conversation with me. I want to be able to get, you know, get your story out to the audience. John, you know, uh, you know, anytime someone asks me to share my story or whatever, I always make time because it's important. And especially, uh, as we know, sharing our stories can help someone else. Then that's all we can ask for, man. And uh, and I really appreciate the uh this opportunity to do so. Thank you Anytime. so much. Thank you for listening to episode 14. Unfortunate accidents produce fortunate miracles. Featuring Michael Gersh. New episodes air every Thursday. Now next week, the season ends. But I have an absolutely amazing interview. And I'll be speaking with Ms. Ada Malave. She's a life coach, speaker, and mental health advocate. Hear all my episodes on Give Grief the Finger. You can also go to my website, jl3motivation.com. There, you can read my latest blogs on grief and transformation. Leave me an email so we can set up some time to work together and have a one-on-one. And understand this, grief is energy that you can transform and repurpose to discover a better version of yourself.